church. We're in a little bit of a series this morning that is talking about God's wisdom and uh, and what is it what is it that's going that's going on in the world and. Um, have you ever been on like a trip or been going to do something that just every time you turn around something broke? <laughs> Not necessarily your body breaks, but like, like uh, your, your transportation, like every time you turn around there's something that's going wrong and you're thinking like maybe Murphy's like got, got his, his law is operating on overtime. Um, and we're gonna see a, a little bit of a similar story. You guys, you guys have seen um, as I was talking with Kid Nation, a, a little bit of a peek into what we're talking about. Um, but, but I just want to be uh, transparent with you, maybe more than is, it may, may or not be helpful, I'm not sure. I, when I started this week, uh, I started with a completely different sermon, and as I was reviewing it again this morning, I, I completely started over again. So if I, if I feel flustered, it's, it, might, it might be that. But I really think that this is a, a goofy story in the Old Testament that maybe we've heard as a kid in Sunday school, but, but missed what was actually going on. And so I think it's going to be helpful for us to revisit it. And I think it's going to be helpful for us um, to see what God does in a really, honestly, just a really goofy situation. All right? So um, would you go on this adventure with me? Would you step out into, into, into this story? Yeah? Okay, okay, cool. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you address us in ways that we aren't expecting. We thank you that at times um, we can get so used to how we like to interact with you. Um, and God, you just shake us up. Lord, we thank you that you're outside of our box that you, you are the living God, the true living God, and that when we interact with you, we interact with a person, a set of persons who, uh, who have their own will. So God, thanks for the conversations that you hold with us. And Lord, this morning we pray that you'd give us ears to hear your word. Would you give us hearts to accept what it is that you're showing us? It's in your name that we pray, amen. So let's open up together this morning. We're going to start in Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22, and if you're using the blue Bibles, it's on page 163. So we're, we're up at kind of the beginning of the Bible. Numbers is, is kind of the fourth, is the fourth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, but it's actually like the second chapter in what God is doing with Israel. Um, Leviticus ends up being a bunch of uh, laws and things like that. But here's, here's, here's where I want to give you a brief summary because Don knows I could talk all day long about uh, the first five books of the Bible. <clears throat> so God creates the whole world and then man rebels against him. And so now God has to deal with this sin issue. He promises he's going to take care of it, but Eve never sees the promise and her boys end up being corrupt and, and it just goes on and on and on and things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until God realizes like, hey, every person who's on the world, the intention of their heart, the leaning of their heart, the, the, the thing that they want most is wickedness and violence and corruption. And he says, I can't deal with this. I'm gonna wipe them all out. And as he's going to do that, Noah finds favor in the sight of the Lord. So God says, hey, no, I got a job for you. I know it's never rained before. I know you don't know what a flood is, but I really need for you to build a boat because it's going to rain and it's going to flood and you're going to need the boat. 
And Noah says, sure, God, whatever, whatever it is you want to do. So God starts over with the whole world um, with, with Noah. So I say that to say people started walking with God, and then it, very quickly everybody forgot and started doing exactly what they wanted to do. So God said, I'm going to start again. There's only one family in the boat. There's Noah and his three sons and their four wives together. Like not all, They don't share the same wives, but there's four wives also in the boat. You get what I'm saying? <clears throat> so there's one family in the boat. They get off of the boat. They have seen God do miraculous things. They've seen him flood the whole world and start over again. And God says, gives them the same command. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And, and they're like, yeah, maybe not. We're not going to do that. And so very quickly, they forget again. And unfortunately, the story of the Bible is God constantly having to reintroduce himself to people who've forgotten who he is and what he's doing. And so he finally says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this guy, Abram. And Abram was a pagan. He was out of the land of Ur. And so God shows up in Ur and says, uh, hey, I need you to go to a different land. And he says, well, how do I know when I get, or how do I know what land it is? He says, you'll know when you get there. Says, all right, well, I guess I'll go. So Abram goes and follows God. And from Abram's descendants, he turns him into Abraham. He begins a new nation. Uh, uh, from one family, he starts with 12 tribes, 12 sons, 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Changes, anyway, it's a long story, I can tell you. So he, he has these special people. They end up in Egyptian captivity for 400 years, and then God shows up again and says, hey, you guys don't remember me. I'm, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God who, like, uh, you know, Abram, you know, me and him got along real well. And they say, oh, okay, so we follow him. We follow him out of slavery, across the Red Sea, and now we've got people that are traveling, camping, who grew up as slaves. They're now following God on this adventure, and uh, they quickly forget everything that God did, and God has to kill them all. <laughs> but he does it slow this time. It's not like a catastrophic, everybody dies at the same time. He takes 40 years for that first generation who, who trusted God and who followed God through the, the waters of the Red Sea, he, he gives them 40 years to die, essentially. And, and when they're all dead, God says, okay, now you're ready to get the land. You, you didn't trust me before. You forgot everything that I did, and now you're ready to get the land. And so now he has brought this whole nation of people up to the borders of the land. They are camping out, looking on, they're camping out on this side of the river, looking at the promised land on the other side of the river in this plain. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but if you move into the neighborhood... All of the neighbors who lived there before start to look at each other going, who are these people? Like, uh, I don't know if you, you've ever really thought about it. Maybe you have. I didn't understand until I bought a house that, like, who I chose to live by would actually matter. Those chuckles tell me that you also understand what I'm talking about. So as Israel's coming through, they're trying to get to the place where God's promised them to go, but they're on the wrong side of the river. So they send word to the kings. There's a whole bunch of people walking around, and they send word to the hey, would you give us, can we just pass through your land? We're not going to take anything. We're not going to drink your water. We really just want to pass through, and you've got the, this nice paved highway right through here. Like, can we just take this road? They said, no, you're not doing that. They go to the next guy, and no, you're not doing that. So nobody, none of their neighbors are being nice to them, which, you know, is... You know, par for the course and they're going up and they're camped on the on these plains and and this one king is getting really really nervous his name is Balak and that's where our story picks up so this this foreign king has has these people camped on his front doorstep and he's nervous because he's heard they've overthrown Egypt like their god is doing something in the world and now they're on my doorstep 
That's where we're picking up. In Numbers chapter 22, page 163 in the Blue Bibles, then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So they're, they're on the wrong side of the river looking over into the promised land, and the first thing that they can see over there is, is the city of Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with the fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. They are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back, a, bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. So Balak says, I got these people. They're, I don't know what's going on with them. I heard that they grew up as slaves, but they got out of Egypt, and that was crazy. Who knew that that could possibly happen? They're on my doorstep, um, and what do I do? So he uses phone a friend. <clears throat> he calls up Balak and says, hey, Balak, I need you to come. Um, what we don't know, because we're not familiar with, with the geog geography, what we don't realize when we read that, this was a 400-mile journey. When he says, I need Balak, or when, I, when, he said, when Balak says, I need Balaam to come and curse these people, he's calling, for, he's calling out a state. He's calling out a country. He's over by the, the Euphrates River. And it's a 400-mile journey. He says, all right, this is worth it. I'm going to send a caravan of guys. They're going to go over. They're going to bring money. And we're going to hire this uh, magician guy, essentially, to, to curse our neighbors. And to us, we might not think much about it because uh, cursing is kind of, um, it means something different in our culture. Like we curse people and we think that maybe the worst that has happened is that their feelings will get hurt. Um, or maybe they'll be provoked to anger and do something stupid. Um, but, but as they understood things, their gods were so involved in the world as they saw it, they didn't see anything that happened in the world as being unconnected to what God does. They actually were onto something there. <clears throat> But, but they knew that if I said a curse over this person, like, and the gods got involved, then they were going to be cursed. And so they say, okay, who is the most spiritual dude that we know? Who's the most religious guy that we know? We need to call him and get him over here to curse these people. So they call up Balaam. And, and Balaam actually is not too far away from where Abram grew up, but that's a whole different thing, except to say that I think Balaam was a pagan. He, he didn't know who Yahweh was. He was, wasn't part of the nation of Israel. Um, he, he was just some dude that was super religious. And they come to him and they explain to him what they need you to do. I need you to curse these people. Would you please come and curse these people? Um, and he, he says in verse 8, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So when you see the word Lord in your Bible, in all caps like that, L-O-R-D, it's God's personal name, Yahweh. 
So what's happened is these people have come to Balaam and said, hey, these people worship this God called Yahweh. Can you figure out like how to curse them? Which means I need you to talk to their God for me because everybody has their own God, right? Does this seem weird to you? Like, why would you go out of state to do this? Like, couldn't you just like curse them from where you are? And like, no, no, they wanted to bring in the big guns. So that's, that's what they did. And he said, hey, all right, so, so I want you to notice this because there's gonna be a back and forth. When, when Balaam uses the, the word Lord or Yahweh um, is, is a different word from where we read God. So you'll read God in the text and that's a generic term for God. It's a translation of the word Elohim, which just meant powerful one. And every, every nation at that time, that was the word that they used for God. So uh, pagans would call about Elohim. Um, but they wouldn't talk about Yahweh because Yahweh was his personal name. Does that make sense? So you're going to see Balaam start to grapple with which God am I talking to? All right? So we're going to pick up in verse 9. Numbers 22, verse 9. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So God came. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent, the, sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord, Yahweh, has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Terrifying. <clears throat> so Balaam is just kind of doing his own thing. He's interacting with what he knows to be God. And the way that they would divine this, um, sometimes they would sacrifice animals and read the, the innards, like the intestines, how the intestines looked. Sometimes they had like a set of bones that they would throw the bones down um, and figure out how the bones were laying. Like the things that he were doing, were doing were not things that Yahweh was okay with. And he's trying to talk to God. Like, I just need to figure out what the spirits are saying about this situation. And he starts to attribute it to Yahweh. Like, he, I don't think he believes it. Because the whole time in the narrative, he's saying, I'm talking to God, I'm talking to God, I'm talking to Elohim. But when he communicates that, he says, Yahweh isn't going to let me do this. So I think he's somebody who just kind of tries to do the most convenient thing. He's like a religious figure, and he's just trying to like, okay, like, I'm doing my normal thing that I'm familiar with, but it's coming back with some weird results, and I can't curse these people, and I'm just going to attribute it to their God. Like, he's just, he doesn't really know exactly what's going on. He says, hey, all right, uh, you, guys, uh, you guys just go home, okay? So they go home. I'm going to summarize the next couple of chapters. They go home, and they say to Balak, hey, uh, Balaam won't come. And Balak says, you took the money, right? Said, well, yeah, we took the money. We told him that you were going to show him honor, and uh, he said that he can't come. He said, w w okay, so he gets even more guys together. He gets more royalty and a bigger crew of more important people and sends them the 400 miles back to Balaam to say, hey, Balaam, I need you to come and curse these people. And so Balaam is like, all right, well, they obviously have the money. Like, let's go back to the drawing board here and see what's going on. So he says, all right, you stay with me and I'll see what, what Yahweh has to say tonight. Um, and... 
and he's he's essentially I think he's negotiating with the, with God saying like I can't I can't curse these people like you've already said that I can't do that but maybe I can just go with them and you know times have been tough maybe I can you know get a paycheck this week <clears throat> and so God says all right fine you can go with them but as he's going he takes his donkey and he and his donkey are riding or he's riding his donkey with his two servants so there's three donkeys trekking 400 miles back to israel or back not to israel but back to balak's land in order to be able to curse the nation of israel the people of israel and as they're going the donkey breaks down <laughs> so the one time the steering goes out and he just veers off into a field and he gets, he's frustrated and, and beats the donkey and gets the donkey back on the road and as they're going through a vineyard, the donkey just kind of stops and leans up against the thing. And then it goes a little bit further, and the donkey lays down. And he's beating the donkey, he's screaming and cursing at the donkey. And the donkey turns around and says, what's, what's your deal, man? I'm, I'm not a bad donkey. Have I ever been bad to you like this before? And Balaam says, no. And God opens his eyes to see what has been happening. See, the donkey knew that the angel of the Lord was standing in the way. And the donkey is watching out for Balaam, which hats off to the donkey. Like, I actually have a lot of respect for the donkey in this situation because Balaam seems kind of like a jerk to me. <clears throat> but he's beating this donkey, and the donkey's trying to save his life. And the Lord says, hey, give credit to your donkey. He's trying to save your life. If the donkey had kept walking, I'd have chopped your head off and let him go. Like, the, the donkey's doing the right thing here. And so Balaam understands, like, okay, I've had these three instances, these three close calls with Yahweh, and, and he's trying to kill me for going and thinking about maybe I could get Yahweh to change his mind. Maybe I'll figure out a way to be able to curse the people that God has said are blessed. And then I can get paid for it. And now he comes to understand, like, okay, Yahweh, like, we've never met before. We've never had any dealings. Obviously, you're serious about this. So I'm just going to, I'll say whatever it is that you want me to say. All right, so they finish the journey. They come back to, to Balak, and Balak's so excited. He's like, awesome, let's go, and uh, we'll go to, to this, the, the most holy spot we've got. It's, it's over here. We'll go up on the high place, and, and Balaam says, okay, build seven, seven altars, which is a lot of altars, and they're doing these sacrifices, and Balaam's just kind of doing his thing, um, his, his pagan ritual thing to try to think, and, he, and, he, and they're all excited, like, all right, we're going to get rid of these people. Balaam's going to curse him for us, and then we're going to be able to destroy him. Uh, and he gets up and he says, I can only say what God told me to say. And he says that they're actually pretty cool and they're going to do what they came to do. They're going to destroy everybody. Uh, and Balak's like, hey, hold on, hold on. Hey, that's not what I hired you for. I hired you to come here and curse them. And now we've done all these sacrifices. We've gotten the spiritual world's attention. And now you're saying that they're actually going to succeed in what they've come to do? Like, that's not what I want you to do. Let's try again. Right, we'll go to the next mountain over. So they're actually like, they're on this mountain and they take another mountain. They go to, through the valley and back up to another mountain. They're one step closer to the people of Israel. And, so, and Balaam says, all right, well, build me seven altars. Let's do the sacrifices again. They go through all the rituals and, uh, and, and Balaam's like, all right, God, like, change your mind. I'm here to curse these people. And he opens up his mouth to curse them and, and more blessings come out. He says, they're actually going to prosper and, and God's going to take care of them and all of their enemies are going to be washed away and it's, it's going to be a really, really big deal. Like, and, and, and Balak's like, hold on, hold on. That's not what I hired you to do. <clears throat> I hired you to curse these people and now you've blessed them twice. 
This is not going well. And Balaam's like, look, man, like I'm just trying to do the, the right thing. I'm connected to the spiritual world. I'm just kind of channeling the, the vibes and I'm trying to channel those cursed vibes and it's just blessing vibes coming out. And then there's a change in chapter 24. Read with me in chapter 24, verse one. Chapter 24, verse one, page 166 on, in the blue Bibles. When Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens. He's not doing his normal witchcraft stuff. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that Yahweh has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. So, attacking. <laughs> he shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and break their bones in pieces, and pierce them through with arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Uh, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, I'll certainly pay you, but Yahweh has held you back from honor. So you're not going to get paid. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his whole house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of Yahweh to do either good or bad of my own will. What Yahweh speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So he, he finishes his curse and Balak throws a fit. He says, I came to you, you've cursed, you've blessed him now three times. We've tried three different mountains. We keep getting closer and closer to the nation of Israel. And the closer we get, the more blessings you give him. And, and he says, look, I told you. Like I told you, I'm just trying to, I'm doing the thing. And I didn't know this God beforehand, but he's, he's got something going on here. There's, there's power here that I haven't seen before. And, and you're telling me I'm not going to get paid, but let me finish. I didn't finish. I didn't finish what I started. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of the Lord and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dis dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. And he continues telling all the neighbors how Israel is going to wipe them out. It's a weird story, isn't it? 
it's strange to me, one, that they, they sent, like, I, sometimes I wish the text would include some of those geographical details because they tell you where he's from, but I don't know the land and you don't know the land. I had to look it up in an atlas to try and figure it out. It's 400 miles. They've now made that trip one, two, three, four times. I can't do the math on that, but you guys can. They've, they've traveled a lot to make this happen and they keep moving. They build, you know, seven altars times three. They keep moving the mountains. They're really trying hard to get this curse out here. And the more they try to override the will of God, the more God subverts what they're doing and gives blessing instead of cursing. And even when his, his livelihood is threatened and even when, when Balak says, I'm not going to pay you for this, like this is crazy, he goes, he goes a step further and says, not only that, like the king is coming. I see him. He's not here now, but I see him coming. A star will rise out of, uh, out of Israel. A star out of Jacob. It's so strange. Consider with me just briefly the historical period that we're in. Um, this is in the book of Numbers, and so Moses is writing these things down, and he's writing them down before they actually go into the land of Egypt, or into the land of Israel, before they cross over the river. He's writing these things down right before he dies. And so Genesis through Deuteronomy, Moses is writing, but it's not public knowledge. So this story is, is the first of the history. Like, the, the people that are alive at this time don't have the word of the Lord. They don't have a Bible. And yet, there are these people that are involved with the spiritual world, like Balaam, who have no idea what they're messing with, but, but they somehow stumble across interactions with Yahweh. And Yahweh would even use those people to communicate the good things that he wanted to do with his people. Sometimes I look at the world and it's so messed up. It, it feels like people can't even have a, a reasonable conversation with each other. And, and I, know, I know the simple answer and I know the church answer. The church answer is the problem is sin. I get that. But sometimes it's just like, Everything is so messed up. People can't even talk to each other. There are corrupt people in, in, in positions of power. There are uh, starving people who can't find a way to provide for themselves. Like the world is so messed up. Sin has corrupted things so bad that how can God actually get anything done right in the world? And last week, it, it made, might have been a very small comfort to you for us to discuss that God's wise character is embedded in all his creation. Because even though God's wise character is embedded in all his creation, we know it's been corrupted. So maybe this is a small, uh, a, a little bit larger word of encouragement, that God's wisdom guides even those who reject it. God's wisdom guides even those who reject it. God's wisdom guides those even those who reject it. People come in into, uh, or just kind of going through their lives, they're doing the thing that they know to do. They've got these rituals, they've got these ways that they connect to spirituality, and, and they come across these, these um, they just don't know what it is. But God, guys, even those who reject it, 
reject his wisdom. Like, he still is involved, even though, even though the, the thing that he set up, the way and the order, um, we might call it righteousness. The, the righteousness that he established all of creation to operate by has been corrupted. He's still involved in leading people to do the right thing. God, in his grace, and, and the, um, the theological word escapes me suddenly. Common grace is common grace. Um, that, that God is involved in people's lives whether they trust him or not. And God is, is guiding people's directions whether they trust him or not. And, and we can say, oh, it's common grace. It's kind of like common sense. Like we don't put much value in it, right? <laughs> but this common grace like actually can do amazing things. God can use people that don't want anything to do with him. Like Balaam didn't want to worship Yahweh. Balaam didn't, he came to curse Israel. He was there to make a buck. And yet, God in his wisdom used one who would reject him to prophesy about the one who would save all of creation. We'll talk about him next week, but the wise men followed a star because of a prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures a prophecy spoken by a pagan trying to make a buck because God's wisdom guides even those who reject it. Let's pray together. God, there's nothing beyond you. There's nothing that's outside of your, your grasp. God, you could even show love to one like me. One who may even know your ways, but oftentimes just want to live for myself. And God, we know that you will guide those who reject you, that your wisdom will guide those who reject you, and yet we don't want to reject you. We don't want you to have to work against us to be able to get done what you want to get done in the world. So Lord, would you humble us? Would you help us to hear your word? Would you help us to understand it and to submit ourselves to it? Jesus, would you help us to follow you? You didn't go or do anything other than what the Father told you to. Help us not to fool ourselves. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.